Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Gabby Rosen Podcast. Hello and welcome to That Gabby Rosen Podcast, part of the Acast Creator Network. Strictly finalist, Bake Off winner and TV chef John Waite is my guest this week and what a gentle man he is. Listen to him talk so incredibly openly about how Strictly has affected him. He discusses deeply personal beliefs and gives us an insight into his issues and how he's coped with them over the years. This is a chat that I will carry in my heart for a very long time. Please, can I ask you a favour? Would you mind following and subscribing, please? By clicking the follow or subscribe button. This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes. I know there have been quite a few now. And you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate and also please write a review. Thank you so much. John Waite, you are just a delight. Oh, you're so sweet, Lot. No, but do you know what? It was watching you on Strictly. Gosh, take this in the best possible way. I cried. I kept crying. It was so beautiful. I don't think I've stopped crying in all yeah, of this. Yeah, I've just read that. <laughs> it's hit me. It's hit me really hard because, not, not least because obviously Strictly is like, being on the highest mountain and all of a sudden you're kind of plunged into the darkest hole afterwards, but because of how humbled I am to have been able to do that and how grateful I am, the the inner child in me, how grateful he is to be able to see that now on television. It's been so healing for, for me, for Johannes. It's been so healing for many, many people across the world. And I just think, you know, I underestimated the, the power of it really when I signed up for Strictly and the importance of it. And yet here we are, it's done and it's it's changed people's minds. It's literally people have messaged to say, I was very doubtful that two men could be beautiful dancing together. And this is from straight men. This is from women with children. You know, it's not just from members of the LGBTQ plus community. It's from just people, the vast majority of people who say, this has changed my mindset. And it's so humbling and reassuring. And, um, I'm just gutted as well that we didn't have that when we were children. You know, we didn't have that representation. Do you, do you think you would have felt differently about things if you had? Because you've always been very open about your sexuality. You've always been a very, a very open person and about mental health and everything. But do you think it would have changed things for you if you'd been able to see two men 
you know, up on the screen on a Saturday night, early evening, dancing together beautifully. Undoubtedly. I think what a lot of gay people suffer from is is shame. Um, and that isn't necessarily shame from a single pinpointable moment in their lives. It's from a lifetime of rejection and, you know, being bullied at school. Some For some people, it's parental rejection, uh, familial rejection. Um, gay people are more likely to attempt suicide. 120 times, I think, is the latest figure. More likely as, as youngsters to be left, to be made homeless because of attitudes toward it, towards their sexuality. Um, so, you know, while I don't want to harp on about it, because, you know, sometimes harping on about harping. things is You're not harping. It, You're not. But, you know, it, sometimes it annoys people. But I've realised, actually, we have to continue the conversation because if we don't, people literally lose their homes and they lose their lives to suicide. And it's, it's, it's so sad. For, for you, then, this has been... I know, obviously, Baker, there's so, you've so many life-changing things that have happened in your life. But this has been... A, been quite extraordinary for you hasn't it strictly mm. it has it has it's given me more of a feeling of life like it's made me realize that you know while serious topics such as gay acceptance is important enjoying yourself and having a laugh also is mm. really important and it's been a beautiful balance actually it's been it's been it's helped with my eating disorder as well. You know, I'm not, I've not been to the gym very much since Strictly because, you know, I'm, I'm bulimic, but also I know that going to the gym is a kind of manifestation of bulimia and I was overdoing it in the gym, you know, I was knackering myself out. And so I've kind of shrunk a little bit in terms of muscle, but I'm not bothered because I don't feel like I need to be validated by my image in a way, which is strange because you'd think that Strictly being the glitz and glamour, it would feed into that need for validation, that need for having your kind of aesthetic ego stroked. But actually it did the opposite for me. It made me appreciate the fact that with nutrition and nourishment and hard work, your body can create beautiful artistry in front of millions of people. And and I think that was a, a, a good eye-opener for me as well. It's so, you, you're so honest about things because you and I met, gosh, years ago when um, I was standing in for Lorraine and yeah. we, shared things and you told me things i remember it's incredible how you i mean i actually i, I don't want to embarrass you but i'm going to just for a second so you can block your ears although that's not a good <laughs> idea because you've got to listen to what i'm going to say but um <laughs> but there was something so incredibly beautiful about your soul and you didn't believe that about you and i remember texting you when you were telling me about this thing and i said you're just a beautiful person and it was if you couldn't see it. But I feel that, and just hearing what you just said then about you're going to the gym and you're bulimia and, and everything else, that you now realise that you are a beautiful soul, that you're beginning to accept it. I, I am. And I think, you know, I always used to shy away from, I always thought that self-belief was crude and self-indulgent. But over recent years, I've kind of, one of my favourite quotes is that caring for, is by um, Audre Lorde, the, the poet, and it's caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And I realise that now, you know, it's okay to say, I am a good person, you know, I'm kind, I love people. I don't always make the right decisions. I sometimes make bloody big mistakes that hurt other people in my life. But as long as we are open and honest with one another and talk about things and how we feel and how we appreciate how what we've done has impacted other people and how we can make amends and how we can grow together as 
as a family or a partnership. That's the important thing. It's not to, to beat yourself up. And I think I did for a very long time. I think because of the gay shame, you know, that kind of shame percolated then into other areas of my life. And you start to become a, a self-loathing black hole. Um, but in recent years, I have started to appreciate my value and my worth. And I don't, you know, ram it down people's throats. I don't shout, say, oh, I'm bloody brilliant. How fabulous am I? Because it's a much more personal thing mm. than that. It's a much more, it's a, it's being able to lie in bed and think, I did well today. Here's what I could have improved on. But what was that? What made you that change for you? I think therapy. I think going through a great, a great deal of therapy over the past, you know, however many years. Um, since, you know, I had a bit of a, a wobble with the TV industry and it made me really reflect on my life and where I wanted to be. I almost started op opened a fish and chip shop and became a, a fish and chip man <laughs> um, in the midst of it. I got a job in an office for a little while a few years ago just to try and get a bit of normality and a little bit of a, a sense of, of identity. But I think I've realised that self-care isn't what social media always kind of pervades it as, which is this kind of, you know, buy a scented candle or <laughs> use this bubble bath or eat yeah. these chocolates. Self-care is much more grueling and difficult and painful. It's about letting go of people who hurt you. It's about letting, um, it's about accepting apologies if you feel you can. It's apologising to people. It's apologising to yourself. Self-care isn't, you know, glitz and glamour and unicorn coloured sparkles. Self-care is getting your fingernails dirty in the mud and really working hard. That's real self-care. And I think therapy was a good help for that. I think having a partner who, you know, me and Paul have been together for 13 years and we have a very understanding relationship where we talk about everything. I think it's about surrounding yourself by people who who validate you and who, who, who pull you up when you need a life raft. Because in so many situations in life, we find ourselves surrounded by toxic people, but there's something addictive about poison, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, people. We often are so addictive, addicted to the things that are so damaging for us. And I think self-care is having the, 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 not the strength, because that implies addiction is weakness and it's not, but having the awareness and the, the readiness to say, okay, I'm going to love this and let it go. It's very interesting because one of the, the words that um, you and I were using over something that was happening with you was toxic and the way you were being treated. And um, I, I, and it was as if you couldn't see past that. But for me, it's really extraordinary how just talking, just talking to you now, but also watching you on television. Yeah. You look at the world differently. You've, it's as if the blinkers have gone. And I feel that lots of people had blinkered you. They'd put their hands up there and they said, right, don't look left, don't look right, just carry on doing that. And it wasn't you it's that so had true. done that to yourself. And now you're able, the blinkers have gone and you go, I can turn my head everywhere and I can look at everything. And that sort of wide-eyed excitement, sort of childlike excitement, which is, it is. so precious. It is precious, and that is the perfect metaphor. It's given me goosebumps. It's brought a tear to my eye because that's exactly how I felt. And when I first came into the TV industry and started doing, you know, uh, cookery segments on Lorraine, and like you say, we worked together on that, I did feel like I had to be very, very censored in what I said. Um, because, not just because of, you know, people, people who had blinkered me in my life, but because of the people who watch and have opinions. We live in an age where opinions are just so heavily flung around, aren't they, without any regard for the, the damage that they might do, without any regard for what the opinion actually is. Um, so I, I, I finally feel like I'm in a place where I don't give a damn 
Like I don't care anymore if somebody doesn't agree with me. I'm not, I wasn't put on this planet for the purpose of pleasing other people. You know, I want to have decent relationships with the people I want to have relationships with, which means I have to be mindful of their feelings and be careful about how I say words and phrase things I need to say. But generally, if I say something on television anymore that people don't agree with, that's their problem. That isn't my problem. Hallelujah to that. Hallelujah to that. Did you, did, but you got <laughs> you and Johannes, why wow, your friendship is, is so beautiful, but you, you did get some abuse online and that, I, I don't know why, I just felt so brokenhearted and both of you spoke about it and, but I suppose it was bound to happen and anybody would. And I, is that how you coped with it? I guess we, we knew it was going to happen. We, we fully anticipated uh, a little bit of hate. Um, Johannes being a black man as well, he anticipated a bit of racial hate, which he got. He got racial and homophobic no. hate um, during the course of Strictly. Oh, no. But I think we, we had each other, you know, we had each other. And we also have bloody thick skin now. You know, we've gone through years of, we both were bullied at school. We both, we've both um, experienced rejection for being gay. I think every single gay person has. Uh, so with that becomes, with that comes an awareness and a thick skin. So the fact that we had each other through that was was beautiful. You know, we we both felt the same reaction to it, but we both laughed it off as well. We, you know, we hit that block button. We did a little yes. dance in our dressing room yes. and, and told them to just get stuffed, basically. <laughs> and I think having, you know, going through, that's the beautiful thing about Strictly as well, is that you go through that, that, that whole experience with another person and you experience it together. And for the crazy 13 weeks that it is, it is so intense and so... It's it's mad. It really is mad. It's it's bonkers. Like I look back now and think, how the hell did that happen? Did it really happen? It's like you know. So the fact that we had each other to help each other through that was was beautiful. Oh, and what a friendship you've got! It's it's incredible to watch. But but the whole of the last season of Strictly was um, was I think by by a long shot the best. And I've always loved watching it. I love it, love it, love it. But you know, Rose. I mean, what she's done is vast. What Remarkable. you and Johannes have done. I mean, Rose and Giovanni together were beautiful. And that people are now, you know, they're going into Parliament and they're talking about BSL. And it, I mean, yeah. what she has done and that silent dance, I don't think I've any, oh. ever, apart from that and the diversity dance about Black Lives Matters, those two dances, the power of dance on television. Yeah. Goodness me. It is, it's, it's remarkable. It, it really, it sends tremors through the entire earth to think that two people can do that on television and it can send those massive shockwaves through the entire world is just so beautiful. It's so reassuring to think that we are finally here in a world where we can do that. And I remember speaking to Rose on the day of the final, we were sat on the stage and we were, you know, I was doing my best to kind of sign what I was saying, but she can of course lip read. And she said that, 20 years ago, a girl like her would probably not have even had a job, let alone be an actor on EastEnders, let alone be, you know, in the biggest TV competition there is. And I realised then that she had to win it. She had mm. to win it because what she's done is, is proven such a... She's, she's, she's disjointed a stereotype. She's completely shattered an illusion of what people thought being deaf was about. And I think... You know, I think if, if I'd got the glitter ball, I think I would have thrown it her way and said, this is yours, love, because 
she's 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 done so much she's done so much and it feels like she's done it on her own as well like she's 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 gone there and she's got it and she's so beautiful and kind and lovely about it as well um and i just i love her and it's so great to be spending time with her now so what's the tour you know i know everybody always goes on uh, about the tour is grueling but it's the best fun I mean, you've got another few weeks left. I have this awful feeling that the end of it, you say you're crying all the time, I, and I get that, I understand it. But, oh, my goodness me, how do you follow the series, then the live tour with your friends and Johannes dancing there on stage? Wow. I mean, it must be incredible, this <sighs> tour. It is. I mean, this is like all the best bits of Strictly rolled into one, and it's so intense. It's It's you know, a little flash in the pan. But I think that is the key thing. I think, you know, life life is a series of sometimes remarkable, sparkly events. But for the most part, life is mundane. It's regular, it's repetitive, can be very boring, but that's life. And I think the more comfortable you are in those repetitive, mundane moments, the better equipped you are to tear away from the, the, the sporadic moments of sparkle mm -hmm. that we all get given throughout our lives. And there is sadness with that tearing away. When something ends, it's deeply sad, but it doesn't kill you. And I think that's the key thing to remember is that you have to look back on those moments and have fond memories and be grateful that it happened and accept that the fact that it's finished is sad and it, it's painful, but something else, another moment of sparkle will be just around on the horizon, isn't it? And I think You've got to cling on to those hopeful moments of sparkle. You've got so much sparkle coming. Can, can we take you back, though, to um, Bake Off? Obviously, you know, you, I know it's, it's very, you've spoken so much about you were seven or eight years old and you started baking and you went to university and you did law, and, uh, but then you did Bake Off. Now, talk of life-changing moments. I mean, that was, and you won. And everyone was talking about you. That, that was the sort of first... A buzz. I mean, the buzz about you was incredible. It was. That was 2012, so 10 That's years extraordinary. ago now. And I was a, you were so young. I was such a child. I was such a child. You know, 22, I mean, I was a young man, but really, I, I looking back at myself, I just wish I could scoop myself up and and protect myself from from the, from the everything because it was, it was it was incredible to do Bake Off. I had the time of my life. But I wasn't ready really for, for what would come yeah. after Bake Off, you know, for, for the industry that we work yeah. in now. Because to be plucked from being a, a fairly simple farmer's son who, you know, just kind of ebbed and, throw, ebbed and flowed through life to, to being on television was quite, quite a, a difficult thing. I had that imposter syndrome, I think. Um, you know, I didn't go to stage school. I didn't go to, uh, you know, I didn't, go, I didn't have any media training. I just kind of had to, 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 to go there and do it. And I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I was blooming lucky to do it. And I would never want to take that away from myself. I think I, I've got to be very grateful for the opportunity I was given. But I just perhaps wish I was a little bit older. I wish I was just, I wish I was where I am now in my own, in my own person. But having said that, you know, there's no point regretting because if I hadn't gone through that, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today, you know, the person I am today. So, Everything happens for oh, a reason, as the old platitude goes, doesn't it? Well, I believe that very strongly. But you, straight from from being on Bake Off, I mean, you're you've you've written so many books. You've had your your cookery school. Well, is that still going, or is that is that stopped now? It will Where? be. Coronavirus messed us around, obviously, and we you know everything we'd worked for crumbled away. Um, so we're going to have to to set that up from scratch again. 
Um, but you know, when the time comes, we'll do that. We'll do our supper clubs again. We'll we'll do the cookery school because it's we. I really enjoyed meeting people every week and getting people through the doors. And and what greater way to get to know somebody than through food? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And food, so food is still important to you. I mean, obviously, we talk oh, about your food issues, yeah. but that's very different to how much you love cooking food. That's a very different thing. It is, because food for me is, is a creativity that... I, it was my only creative output, you know, until Strictly came along until I got more jobs presenting independent of, independently of food. And food was my only creative output. And it still is, you know, I would never abandon my food writing career or my food, my food career as a, as a, a TV cook because it's, you know, it's, it's served me well for 10 years. It's been 10 long years since I started this, this job. And I don't want to abandon that. And I, I love food, you know, I love, I love creating new recipes and I love to, to experiment and to, to try new things. And, and there's so much to be said about identity. You know, I think, I think food really serves to, to deliver an identity or at least to represent somebody's identity. If we look at all the different cultures around the world and what they do in terms of festivals and celebrations of food, I think, and I feel sometimes that in this country, we almost lose that, don't we? In the age of fast food and fast, fast fashion, fast everything, it kind of, in a way, sadly dilutes our culture and our identity. And, you know, I, I don't lament fast food, but it's, 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 it's sad when sometimes it overtakes that identity and that, that cause of celebration. I completely agree. Do you, so at home, do you or Paul do the cooking? Is it always you or does Paul do it? No, you'll be you'll laugh at this. For the past few months, I think since since last year, since I got the Strictly gig, and I was then you know in the gym and following a very boring food route regime, I um, Paul just would cook a batch of turkey chili every week, and so every single night for about a year, apart from the odd takeaway here and there or the odd fish and chips, every single night we would eat turkey chili with sweet potato, turkey chili with rice, turkey chili with a wrap, turkey chili with a baked potato if we were feeling fancy. And then, I love it. Baked yeah, potatoes fancy. Love that. <laughs> but, you know, speaking about, you know, the mundane regularity of life, 
There's not more mundane and regular than a blooming turkey chili of an evening, is there? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's I quite posh. For with... a lot of people wouldn't have turkey chili. It's quite posh. Well, no, perhaps not. But if you if eating it every day, I think that, that speaks volumes <laughs> for the kind of person you are. I think you can. it means that you can quite easily cope with... Uh, mundanity and regularity. I love that that Paul did it all though. Does he ever get to a stage where he goes, hold on, you're the chef. Get on with it. Get into the kitchen, you. No, because I think for 10 years I've kind of dominated Mm -hmm. and I've overshadowed his his experiments in the kitchen. So I think the fact that he's now getting to do the cooking. And the thing about Paul is that he is the most nurturing person I think I've ever met. He's my favourite person on the planet. You know, he really is. He's my best, best friend. And he anything that he can do to to nurture me and to provide for me he will without any question and that's why i sometimes feel so guilty because i'm you know i'm having this fabulous life on strictly and it's all glitzy and glamoury and fabulous and he's at home washing my dirty underwear and feeding the dog and taking the dog for a walk but we've had vast conversations about this and he wouldn't have it any other way that's you know his his what he wanted from when he realized he was gay was to to have a partner who he would grow old with and, you know, lie next to on the deathbed with. That's what he wants. And I'm glad that I can I can give that to him. Um, How did you meet you two? We met on Facebook. So before before the age of like Grindr and Tinder and stuff like that, on Facebook there was an app called Are You Interested? And practically it was Tinder. You just clicked on a profile picture of random profile pictures in your area were circulated and then you would click on one that you thought was fit. And we clicked on each other and then we we went for a date. And on our first date, I ate so much food. He was so impressed by how much food I put away. Because mostly, you know, usually on a first date, you'd have a, a meagre little lettuce leaf, wouldn't you, and try and, and, and not get too bloated. But I was there eating, I think I had a meze and then a burger. And he said that he fell in love with me there and then because he could see how passionate I was about life through through the amount of food that I put away. And we just had such a laugh. We, you know, from the moment we met, I knew that this guy was going to be my best friend for the rest of my life. Oh my God. And it's, uh, you know, I just, oh God, I love him so much. That is just so <laughs> I wish wonderful. he was here now. Is he there? No, he's not with you, of course. He's not on tour with you. No, I've not seen him for ages because of Strictly, um, from the tour and stuff like that. He's, because we're bubbling on the tour. So I'll see him hopefully this weekend when I'm in Manchester. But yeah, gosh, I miss him so deeply. He's, he's, just amazing he really is amazing do you know you've been together that long and you still feel like this that that is incredible there's not many people you speak they go yeah yeah well we put up with you yeah it's fine it's fine you're properly (laughs) deeply in love it's just wonderful well that's the beautiful thing i think about relationships is that they do go through you know transformations and they do go through dangerous patches they go through ruts but i think if you want to make it work you can I think, like I said, we live in the age of fast fashion, fast food, and I think we often give up on things too quickly. That's not to say that if something isn't right, you shouldn't escape that situation because you should, you know, going back to self-preservation. And that's the difficult thing to balance is where does self-preservation end and where does compromise and hard work begin? Sometimes the two are inextricably linked and overlapped, but sometimes the two actually are slightly separate. And for me, I think it's just about making making it work because I know the grass is always greener, isn't it? But at the end of the day, it always starts to mulch and turn to mud, <laughs> just like every other piece of grass does. And sometimes you just got to say, right, well, yeah, I could go and do that. I could go and have something better or, or what I thought would be better. But actually, I know that it would be the biggest regret of my life if I were to ever 
make an impulse decision and leave a relationship that I've worked so hard on, that we've worked so hard on for 13 years. And it's, you know, it is hard. Relationships are hard. Family relationships are hard. Sexual relationships are hard. Friendly relationships are hard. Nothing comes easy. We, we have to work on, on ourselves and on other people. Do you, you, I get the feeling that you're very, um, you're very open and very trusting. Yeah, we are extremely, we are very open and very trusting. We talk about But you as well, everything. though. I mean, I feel that you're very, you trust people. I never used to. And sometimes maybe they let you down, but you, you will trust somebody, which is a wonderful thing to have. I am. Sometimes it's, it's a curse, though, because sometimes I trust people too much, even when I can see them doing me harm. Right. And I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, even if all the evidence... You know, because my law degree, I always look at the evidence. I always try and analyze the evidence. But then my emotional side of me comes in and says, oh, well, you can ignore the evidence. Um, and that's my downfall, I think, is that I do trust people too much. I never used to. Um, I used to be quite closed and quite paranoid and jealous. Um, but that was, I think that was because of the shame, because of, of not being comfortable in my own skin. And I think that's the thing. I think we often write people off sometimes when, when they are, perhaps showing behavioural traits that are a bit damaging, a bit negative. We sometimes think, oh, they're a bad person. But what Paul's taught me, I think, is to, you know, to, to give that person time, to let that person grow, to help them heal. And if after that time and that healing, they still cause you pain, then you have to let them go. But that's why I think I respect Paul so much is because he's, you know, through all my mental health battles, he has been constant. He's been consistent. He's never judged. Even if I've been the most horrific boyfriend imaginable, which I have at times, you know, I'll hold my hands up. He forgives me, he works through it with me, and he has, he has helped me. And that's why we're in a, a strong position now, I think, is because as I've, you know, got to become a, a man, 33 years old, I, I now feel, I know a bit more about myself, about the world, and and the importance of relationships. Because when you're old and grey and, you know, the, the luster of life is starting to fade, you're going to want to have someone there with you, aren't you? You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to worry about having those 20 one-night stands, but the one person that you've dedicated your life to, you'll want them there with you, I think, holding your hand. When you were little and you were on the farm and with your sisters, did you ever see anything vaguely like this happening in your life? <laughs> No, I didn't. I thought, I mean, I always used to do drama. Like I used to go to um, like a little drama group, an amdram group from the age of four. And I was the, I was the, the mirror in Snow White at Chorley Little Theatre when I was four. So that would have been 1994, oh. 1995. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I always knew there was something more to life than the farm. I mean, I love the farm. I love the countryside. And we moved away from London back to the countryside about four or five years ago. So we could get a log fire and get a dog and have a, a bit of more of a rural lifestyle, cozy nights in the pub with friends. But I still have, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a performer, you know, I'm a, I like to, 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 to do everything I can to, to, to show off and be a bit jazzy. And I used to think showing off was a bad thing, but actually if you're providing entertainment for somebody, which is what we do as presenters as well, isn't it? We mm -hmm. entertain. I think you have to embrace the fact that side of you and, 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 and really cherish it and nurture it. Um, so I always knew there was more to life than just cow muck and, 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 uh, and, and whatnot. But it's so, it's so extreme, the difference between this little lad on the farm and then you get into to, to do law. I know, I know you changed because you were going to do 
medieval languages, weren't you? Was that I did I read that was right? I got I was quite clever. So my parents um pushed pushed me forward for Oxbridge and I got into Oxford. I went to St. John's College, which I only applied to St. John's because of the looking at the the ratio of applicants to acceptance, I knew there was a higher chance of me getting in. You know, I, I didn't care about the faculty itself. I just thought, right, I've got to get in. So I got into St. John's and I went down for a little while uh, to St. John's. I went down for about six weeks and started my course there, my medieval and modern languages. And I just, I hated it. I didn't fit in. I didn't have the self-confidence to stand up against, you know, people who have been to private school, like the, the some some person from... Bermuda's son, some really important person in Bermuda, his son was there at the time. And I just felt like this country bumpkin who'd rocked up to the to Oxford to try and, you know, tick a box in terms of acceptance. That's what I genuinely felt like. They were just letting the lad from the farmer's lad from Wigan in because, you know, they needed that diversity. I don't think that was the case at the time. Looking back at my grades and stuff, I think I deserved to, to be there. But the imposter syndrome, the imposter in me kind of said, Oh, you ain't good enough for this boy. So I just wanted to get out of there. And I missed, you know, I wasn't, I, had, I don't think I'd gone through the separation from my mum my, my either. You know, I think because my parents got divorced when I was younger, I think that kind of stalled the emotional separation that we all go through from our parents. I don't think I really achieved that until the past three years, actually. Wow. Um, because my mum was my best friend for so long. And um, yeah, so I wasn't ready to, to be at Oxford. And I don't think I would, even if I went there now I don't think I would enjoy it it's not my cup of tea basically you know I'm not I'm not that kind of guy what I mean you were saying you were bullied at school as well and then the imposter syndrome and I just there's a part of me that wants to meet you back then and say you're okay you know what you you can do this it's like you didn't believe that you could but actually if you'd stayed there you wouldn't be doing all of the things that you do now you know it's amazing how life that path that you've you know you you went to Manchester you did look was it Manchester wasn't it was it Manchester yeah it was Manchester yeah and you did law and then you worked in a bank and and that was your route into this crazy world that maybe if you'd gone to Oxford it wouldn't have been like that it might not have been like that but you know and I wanted to go to Guildford I got I got into um I got a callback for Guildford no, that's where I went I was at GSA is it I went to GSA GSA you went to GSA well, because like, yeah, I, I auditioned oh for there when I was God. at college. After after I dropped out of Oxford, I auditioned for Guildford. I got a call back and my parents were very reluctant to to let me go there because I think they feared the rejection because there's a lot of rejection in, in this industry, isn't there? And I think they wanted to protect me from that pain. But what's interesting is I, I got there anyway. You know, I got there wow. anyway. And I think that's when you know that it's just, it's meant to be. And I, you know, I hate speaking in platitudes. I think we, we, we can analyze things much more intelligently than that. But, you know, it was meant to be, I think, the way that it just unfolded naturally. And, I, you know, I've worked hard for Bake Off for my law degree, don't get me wrong, but I've been very, very lucky and fortunate in the opportunities that have come my way. So, yeah, I feel very, very proud and lucky and happy and privileged to be, to be sat here talking about it from a hotel when I'm on tour with Strictly. And, you know, it's, 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 Again, it's one of those things that is unremarkably remarkable because it happens so gradually and gently over the course of many years. But when you look at it in a vacuum, it is so remarkable and so life-changing. Mm. And I feel extremely lucky about it. When I presume the West End is beckoning now, isn't it? 
that would be a life a lifelong dream that would be a childhood dream come true because you can sing as well can't you i can hold a tune i'm not like i'm not the best singer i can i can sing more of a chorus singer but i think with a bit of training i'd be able to hold a couple of numbers um in the west end but i enjoy it you know i enjoy i enjoy music and my dad my dad was very musical well he still is he's still around he can play pretty much any instrument you throw at him and he can write music oh. and i think i i kind of abandoned that for many years. I thought the intellectual academic route was the thing to follow, but I'm not, I'm not academic. I'm, I'm clever, but I'm not, not interested in, in reading all the books and, you know, mulling over the information. I, I, I well, I think I'm a bit of both. I think, I, but, but I think I neglected my performance side for so many years. And now that he's back, the John yes. who, who sparkles yes. on stage, I absolutely, I'm so excited. I, I have in my head the roles that they're asking you to do. <laughs> you do, and and um, I've actually got quite a few roles that I can imagine them wanting you to do, and and you know all I'm going to say is that it's fantastic. It's a wonderful thing to 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 give it a go, and if you've got that flame inside you, you sometimes you just have to stoke that flame. You do, don't you? You do, because I think we we often silence little parts of ourselves, don't we? Just to get on with life and to pay the mortgage and to feed the dog. And, but sometimes you have those itches and you have to just scratch them and you have to, and again, that's part of being kind to yourself is it's taking risks. Yes. It's taking that leap. Completely. Oh, you are a joy. John, I, I truly, I, I feel so um, close to you. It's incredible. You're a very special man. Um, so on this podcast, we uh, always talk about what, we ask everybody what makes them belly laugh. So I've seen you lose it because, uh, and in fact, I remember what it was about. We were both being very crude and we got told off afterwards. Uh, we'd been crude about, I think it was something to do with meringue and cream. And, um, and we got told off saying you just, <laughs> we took it too far. And then we both got, we couldn't stop laughing. So what makes you belly laugh? For me, I've got a really quite a dark sense of humour. You know, I share that with my mum. My mum used to be a nurse. So she has got gallows humour. And when me and mum get together and, and talk about stupid, like quite dark things, it just makes me howl. Last week on tour, I was on the way up to pack lunch in the car and I was speaking to my mum on the phone and I haven't laughed. Like, I can't remember what we were laughing about. It was her selling a story on me. Um, she, she imagined trying to sell a story on me and she'd be sat on the front cover of Hello in a dirty nighty <laughs> with her hair all greased back with like lard and stuff and <laughs> clutching a little dog in one hand and telling a story about how like I ruined her life. <laughs> and you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of humour we have, this kind of sarcastic, almost a bit nasty humour. And I just remember being in the, in the car up to pack lunch and I was crying with laughter and it was so refreshing because I haven't laughed like that. I don't laugh a lot, you know, I'm quite, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a content person, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the, 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 the giddiest. I can be you quite had, giddy, oh, but I don't, I don't, I don't I've remember. I've seen you like that. We were being told off because we kept doing double entendres live on air. And afterwards, we were, we, they came onto the floor and they said, well, you two, look, you, you can't do that. And we, but we were really properly giggling. And then you, I think you texted me afterwards and said, I think we got into trouble. And we had because we were being so naughty. And that was you giggling. So that's how I remember you as well. I, no, I guess I am quite giggly, but I, I, I think increasingly I've been a bit more like trying to be sensible. But when I laughed with my mum the other day, even she messaged me and say, she said, I haven't seen you like, I haven't, I haven't spoken to you like that for, for, for ages. Where have you oh. been? I think, you know, I think all the hard work and stuff, like it's just kind of sidetracked me. And to have that, have that laugh with my mum and for her to say, 
welcome back. I think she can see that finally. I've, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve all my life and I'm happy now. And the son that she always loved and the best friend that she had is back. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think I think a bit risky humour is always what gets me. Uh, pushing boundaries with humour is what gets me. And uh, yeah, very dark gallows humour as well. I, I just can't resist that. <laughs> John, that was a perfect place to stop. Thank you so much. You've been brilliant. What a joy to speak to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week is comedian and presenter Joe Lysett. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thanks so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 